Chapter Thirty Four of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Read by Barry O'Neill. Is He Popenjoy? By Anthony Trollope. Chapter Thirty Four: A Dreadful Communication. A most dreadful communication. There was something in Lord George's voice as he uttered these words, which so frightened his wife, that she became at the moment quite pale. She was sure, almost sure from his countenance, that the dreadful communication had some reference to herself. Had any great calamity happened in regard to his own family, he would not have looked at her as he was now looking. And yet she could not imagine what might be the nature of the communication. "'Has anything happened at Manor Cross?' she asked. "'It is not about Manor Cross.' "'Or your brother?' "'It is not about my brother. It does not in any way concern my family. It is about you.' "'About me? Oh, George, do not look at me like that. What is it?' He was very slow in the telling of the story, slow even in beginning to tell it. Indeed, he hardly knew how to begin.' "'You know Miss Augusta Mildmay?' he asked. Then she understood it all. She might have told him that he could spare himself all further trouble in telling, only that to do so would hardly have suited her purpose. Therefore she had to listen to the story, very slowly told. Miss Augusta Mildmay had written to him, begging him to come to her. He, very much astonished at such a request, had nevertheless obeyed it, and Augusta Mildmay had assured him that his wife— by wicked wiles and lures, was interfering between her and her affianced lover, Captain de Baron. Mary sat patiently till she had heard it all, sat almost without speaking a word, but there was a stern look on her face which he had never seen there before. Still he went on with his determined purpose. These are the kinds of things which are being repeated of you, he said at last. Susanna made the same complaint and it had reached Brotherton's ears. He spoke to me of it in frightfully strong language, and now this young lady tells me that you are destroying her happiness. Well? You can't suppose that I can hear all this without uneasiness. Do you believe it? I do not know what to believe. I am driven mad. If you believe it, George, if you believe a word of it, I will go away from you. I will go back to papa. I will not stay with you to be doubted. That is nonsense. It shall not be nonsense. I will not live to hear myself accused by my husband as to another man. Wicked young woman! Oh, what women are and what they can do! She has never been engaged to Captain de Baron. What is that to you or me? Nothing, if you had not told me that I stood in her way. It is not her engagement or her hopes, whether ill or well-founded, or his treachery to a lady that concerns you and me, Mary, but that she should send for me and tell me to my face that you are the cause of her unhappiness. Why should she pitch upon you? How can I say, because she is very wicked? And why should Susanna feel herself obliged to caution me as to this Captain de Baron? She had no motive. She is not wicked. I don't know that. And why should my brother tell me that all the world is speaking of your conduct with this very man? Because he is your bitterest enemy. George, do you believe it? 
and why when i come home with all this heavy on my heart do i find this very man closeted with you closeted with me you were alone with him alone with him of course i am alone with any one who calls would you like me to tell the servant that captain de baron is to be excluded so that all the world might know that you are jealous he must be excluded then you must do it but it will be unnecessary as you believe all this i will tell my father everything and will go back to him i will not live here george to be so suspected that the very servants have to be told that i am not to be allowed to see one special man no you will go down into the country with me i will not stay in the same house with you she said jumping from her seat unless you tell me that you suspect me of nothing not even of an impropriety you may lock me up but you cannot hinder me from writing to my father i trust you will do nothing of the kind not tell him who then is to be my friend if you turn against me am i to be all alone among a set of people who think nothing but ill of me i am to be your friend but you think ill of me i have not said so mary then say at once that you think no ill and do not threaten me that i am to be taken into the country for protection and when you tell me of the bold-faced villainy of that young woman speak of her with the disgust that she deserves and say that your sister susanna is suspicious and given to evil thoughts and declare your brother to be a wicked slanderer if he has said a word against the honour of your wife then i shall know that you think no ill of me and then i shall know that i may lean upon you as my real friend her eyes flashed fire as she spoke and he was silenced for the moment by an impetuosity and a passion which she had not at all expected he was not quite disposed to yield to her to assure her of his conviction that those to whom she alluded were all wrong and that she was all right but yet he was beginning to wish for peace that captain de baron was a pestilential young man whose very business it was to bring unhappiness into families he did believe and he feared also that his wife had allowed herself to fall into an indiscreet intimacy with this destroyer of women's characters then there was that feeling of caesar's wife strong within his bosom which he could perhaps have more fully explained to her but for that unfortunate letter from mrs houghton any fault however of that kind on his part was in his estimation nothing to a fault on the part of his wife she when once assured that he was indifferent about mrs houghton would find no cause for unhappiness with the matter but what would all the world be to him if his wife were talked about commonly in connection with another man that she should not absolutely be a castaway would not save him from a perpetual agony which he would find to be altogether unendurable he was he was sure quite right as to that theory about caesar's wife even though from the unfortunate position of circumstances he could not dilate upon it at the present moment i think he said after a pause that you will allow that you had better drop this gentleman's acquaintance i will allow nothing of the kind george i will allow nothing that can imply the slightest stain upon my name or upon your honour captain de baron is my friend i like him very much a great many people know how intimate we are they shall never be taught to suppose that there was anything wrong in that intimacy they shall never at any rate be taught so by anything that i will do 
I will admit nothing, I will do nothing myself to show that I am ashamed. Of course you can take me into the country, of course you can lock me up if you like, of course you can tell all your friends that I have misbehaved myself, you can listen to calumny against me from everybody, but if you do I will have one friend to protect me, and I will tell papa everything. Then she walked away to the door as though she were leaving the room. Stop a moment, he said. Then she stood with her hand still upon the lock, as though intending to stay merely till he should have spoken some last word to her. He was greatly surprised by her strength and resolution, and now hardly knew what more to say to her. He could not beg her pardon for his suspicion, he could not tell her that she was right, and yet he found it impossible to assert that she was wrong. "'I do not think that passion will do any good,' he said. I do not know what will do any good. I know what I feel. It will do good if you will allow me to advise you. What is your advice? To come down to the country as soon as possible, and to avoid as far as possible seeing Captain de Baron before you go. That would be running away from Captain de Baron. I am to meet him at Miss Montacute Jones' ball. Send an excuse to Mrs. Montacute Jones. You may do so, George, if you like. I will not. If I am told by you that I am not to meet this man, of course I shall obey you. But I shall consider myself to have been insulted, to have been insulted by you. As she said this, his brow became very black. Yes, by you. You ought to defend me from these people who tell stories about me and not accuse me yourself. I cannot and will not live with you if you think evil of me. Then she opened the door and slowly left the room. He would have said more had he known what to say, but her words came more fluently than his, and he was dumbfounded by her volubility. Yet he was as much convinced as ever that it was his duty to save her from the ill repute which would fall upon her from further intimacy with this captain. He could, of course, take her into the country to-morrow if he chose to do so but he could not hinder her from writing to the dean. He could not debar her from pen and ink and the use of the post-office. Nor could he very well forbid her to see her father. Of course, if she did complain to the dean, she would tell the dean everything. So he told himself. Now when a man assumes the divine superiority of an all-governing husband, his own hands should be quite clean. Lord George's hands were by no means clean. It was not perhaps his own fault that they were dirty. He was able at any rate to tell himself that the fault had not been his. But there was that undoubted love-letter from Mrs. Houghton. If the dean were to question him about that he could not lie, and though he would assure himself that the fault had all been with the lady, he could not excuse himself by that argument in discussing the matter with the dean. He was in such trouble that he feared to drive his wife to retaliation and yet he must do his duty. His honour and her honour must be his first consideration. If she would only promise him not willingly to see Captain de Baron, there should be an end of it, and he would allow her to stay the allotted time in London. But if she would not do this, he thought that he must face the dean and all his terrors. But he hardly knew his wife, was hardly aware of the nature of her feelings. When she spoke of appealing to her father, no idea crossed her mind of complaining of her husband's infidelity, 
she would seek protection for herself and would be loud enough in protesting against the slanderous tongues of those who had injured her she would wage war to the knife against the marquis and against lady susanna and against augusta mildmay and would call upon her father to assist her in that warfare but she would not condescend to allude to a circumstance which if it were an offence against her she had pardoned but as to which in her heart of hearts she believed her husband to be if not innocent at least not very guilty she despised adelaide houghton too much to think that her husband had really loved such a woman and was too confident in herself to doubt his love for many minutes she could hate adelaide houghton for making the attempt and yet could believe that the attempt had been futile nevertheless when she was alone she thought much of mrs houghton's letter throughout her interview with her husband she had thought of it but had determined from the very first that she would not cast it in his teeth she would do nothing ungenerous but was it not singular that he should be able to upbraid her for her conduct for conduct in which there had been no trespass knowing as he must have known feeling as he must have felt that every word of that letter was dwelling in her memory he had at any rate intended that the abominable correspondence should be clandestine he must have been sadly weak to make the least of it to have admitted such a correspondence pray tell me that you love me that had been the language addressed to him only a few days since by a married lady to whom he had once made an offer of marriage and yet he could now come and trample on her as though his marital superiority had all the divinity of snow-white purity this was absolute tyranny but yet in complaining to her father of his tyranny she would say nothing of adelaide houghton of the accusations made against herself she would certainly tell her father unless they were withdrawn as far as her own husband could withdraw them for an hour after leaving him her passion still sustained her was this to be her reward for all her endeavours to become a loving wife they were engaged to dine that evening with a certain mrs patmore green who had herself been a germain and who had been first cousin to the late marquis mary came down dressed into the drawing-room at the proper time not having spoken another word to her husband and there she found him also dressed she had schooled herself to show no sign either of anger or regret and as she entered the room said some indifferent words about the brougham he still looked as dark as a thunder-cloud but he rang the bell and asked the servant a question the brougham was there and away they went to mrs patmore green's she spoke half a dozen words on the way but he hardly answered her she knew that he would not do so being aware that it was not within his power to rise above the feelings of the moment but she exerted herself so that he might know that she did not mean to display her ill-humour at mrs patmore green's house lady brabazon whose sister had married a germain was there and a colonel ainsley who was nephew of lady brotherton's so that the party was very much a germain party all these people had been a good deal exercised of late on the great popenjoy question so immense is the power of possession that the marquis on his arrival in town had been asked to all the germain houses in spite of his sins and had been visited with considerable family affection and regard for was he not the head of them all but he had not received these offers graciously 
and now the current of germain opinion was running against him of the general propriety of lord george's conduct ever since his birth there had never been a doubt and the greens and brabazons and ansleys were gradually coming round to the opinion that he was right to make inquiries as to the little popenjoy's antecedents they had all taken kindly to mary though they were perhaps beginning to think that she was a little too frivolous too fond of pleasure for lord george mrs patmore green who was the wife of a very rich man and the mother of a very large family and altogether a very worthy woman almost at once began to whisper to mary well my dear what news from italy i never hear anything about it mrs green said mary with a laugh and yet the dean is so eager lady george i won't let papa talk to me about it lord brotherton is quite welcome to his wife and his son and everything else for me only i do wish he would have remained away i think we all wish that my dear mr patmore green and colonel ainsley and lady brabazon all spoke a word or two in the course of the evening to lord george on the same subject but he would only shake his head and say nothing at that time this affair of his wife's was nearer to him and more burdensome to him than even the popenjoy question he could not rid himself of this new trouble even for a moment he was still thinking of it when all the inquiries about popenjoy were being made what did it matter to him how that matter should be settled if all the happiness of his life were to be dispelled by this terrible domestic affliction i'm afraid this quarrel with his brother will be too much for lord george said mr patmore green to his wife when the company were gone he was not able to say a word the whole evening and i never knew her to be more pleasant said mrs patmore green she doesn't seem to care about it the least in the world the husband and wife did not speak a word to each other as they went home in the brougham mary had done her duty by sustaining herself in public but was not willing to let him think that she had as yet forgiven the cruelty of his suspicions. End of chapter 34